If you have a Bible, if I can encourage you to turn in it to Judges chapter 2, and if you want to use the Bible in front of you, if you want to pay, turn to page 201, that's where we'll be this morning in Judges 2 and carrying over a little bit into Judges 3. Now, to start this morning, what I'd really like to do is kind of remind you of a big biblical truth, okay? Sort of a thing that is true hugely through Scripture, and that is this, that if you exist, in essence, if God, if you exist, God created you, God has a plan for you. That's a huge truth. God has a plan for you. In, in very simple, very broad terms of the whole story of the Bible, the plan of God starts with you being created in the image of God. Okay, he made you in his image. That's a part of his plan for your life. Now, that plan got complicated, or maybe more accurately, you could say it got a little bit deadly because we sinned, because we were sinners by nature and choice. We were separated from God. And all of a sudden, the plan of God got very complicated, very difficult, very challenging. But thankfully, God is not put off by the challenges and complications we add. God then moved in a way and said, hey, here's another part of my plan, and that is God can make us alive in Christ. And he did that by Jesus going to the cross and dying in our place for our sins and then rising again. That's all a part of the plan of God to do something for us. But here's the thing. God's plan doesn't even stop there. God continues to move and to work, and what God does is God commits himself. God commits himself to us to make us like the Lord Jesus in our character, in our conduct, in our convictions. He does that. He is committed to doing that. Now, if we talk about God having this big plan and saying God has a plan for our lives, that raises a question. And the question may be as simple as this. If, if God really is in this business of creating us and then we mess that up and then he redeems and he restores and he wants to bring the redeeming and restoring work into our lives, here's the question. How do we align with that? How do we align with the work of God that he wants to do in our lives to redeem and restore us? How do we do that? How do we align with God and his plan that really is for our good? Now, I want that question to kind of be in your mind, in the background of your mind, because as we move to Judges chapter 2, we're going to go from verse 6 to chapter 3, verse 6. I think it's going to help us think a little bit more about that or hit on issues tied to that. Now, we just started a new series in Judges last week, and it's going to take us a while, and, and I will say this, and I will probably say this a number of times. Judges is filled with a lot of negative things, okay? There's a lot of things about Judges that aren't pleasant. And you can say that Judges is filled with a lot of negative things that do not align with God and God's plan for Israel. That's the story, right? It's their narrative, but it's not going to be them aligning very often. But here's the thing. We can learn positive biblical truths from those negative things. So we're going to look at a whole lot of negative things about non-aligning with God, and hopefully what we'll learn this morning is how we do align with God, how you and I can align with God even though it's coming out of a negative context. Now, the book of Judges really is kind of a sequel to the book of Joshua. They follow right after each other, and the reason I mention that is because if you want to see what does it look like for somebody to live out God's plan, to Align with what God wants to do in and through their life. Joshua is a great example. 
Okay, Joshua is one of those people. In very explicit terms, God told Joshua, hey, Joshua, here's the plan I have for your life. So one example, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. God says it this way to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. So God says, here's the plan, Joshua. Here's what I want to do in and through you. Now, the question is, did God do those things? I mean, did God use Joshua to bring the people into the land? Does God accomplish his plan? Well, look at verses 6 to 9 of Judges chapter 2 with me. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, excuse me, north of the mountains of Gaash. Joshua did what God had called them to do. He fulfilled. God accomplished the plan through Joshua's life. Joshua did it, and then he died, and then he was buried in exactly the spot he was supposed to be buried in. That was his inheritance. He had moved into land just like God had said. I don't want you to miss the big idea behind what's happening at this point in Judges 2. God really does have a purpose for people. He really does want to do things in and through them, and that includes you and me. But let me be even more explicit. If you've repented of your sin and you have trusted the Lord Jesus alone as your Savior, God truly has a plan for you. There are things he wants you to be engaged in and doing in life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is a verse that grips me when it says this, for we are his workmanship. Talking about people who have trusted Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, please know this truth. God is sending you today to accomplish his purpose. He wants to do things in and through you. If you've not come to the place yet where you've trusted Christ, one of the things I want you to understand about the gospel, about the good news, about what God wants to do, is God wants to do a work in and through you. That's what he's inviting us to. That's part of what the hope of the gospel is. When he calls us to himself, he's saying, look, I've got things for you to do. God has a purpose for our lives. Now, folks, when we talk about as in, at a, in our church about our disciple-making strategy of we want to connect people to Jesus, we want to equip people for Jesus, and we want to send people for Jesus, what we're talking about is aligning with the work that God really wants to do in our lives and the work God wants to do through our lives. Big question. Let me set it up this way. Joshua aligned with what God wanted to do in his life and through his life. Are you and I aligned? Are you and I aligning with what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives? He's got a purpose for us. He has things he wants to do. Are you and I aligning with those things? Well, you could say, well, I want to align, but how do I do it? I mean, there's a lot of things that we're sort of told we're supposed to do, but how do we do it? 
Well, I think Judges 2, carrying on into Judges 3, is going to give us sort of the two key things, two key things that will help us align with God. And we're going to look at those. But right before we get those, I just need to do a really quick aside. This is one of my hit the pause button moments just for a second. Okay, As we get into Judges 2 this morning, it's going to provide us with basically a big picture pattern that is going to influence and structure the rest of the book. In essence, this chapter, in very broad terms, is going to explain what went wrong with Israel, why the wheels came off, so to speak. And then the rest of the book, from next week on, we're going to see this pattern repeated again and again and again. Okay? Back to the action. Through this overview of the pattern, I want us to see the two key things we need to do to align with God, knowing we're going to see this pattern played out again and again and again. So what are the keys? Key number one, if you and I are going to align with God so we can live out the purpose he has for our lives, is we need to know God. We need to know God. Now, the snapshot of, of Joshua in verses 6 to 9, they were really positive. And I'd love to tell you, hey, everything's going to be positive from this point on in Judges. Well, that's not really the case. Look at verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. I mean, Joshua was one, now the other next generation was. And then it says this, Then there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 10 is really up clear. Here's the up, here's the up front reason why the wheels fell off of Israel's wagon. They did not know the Lord. Now, when we talk about knowing the Lord in verse 10, we're not talking about something in terms of just an information thing. When we talk about knowing the Lord, we're talking about a knowledge that influences and impacts our lives, okay? The issue here is that God, when we respond to what God has done for us, when we see what God has done, that should impact and influence our lives from going forward. Let me put it in terms not from the book of Judges, but kind of shifted and just talk about 2023. We live, they were living, waiting for the cross. We're living on the other side of the cross. Okay, so in 2023, if we're going to say we know the Lord, that implies some things. One of the things it implies is that we know something we'd call the gospel event. We would know that Jesus went to the cross and then died in our place for our sins and he rose again. That's the gospel event. That's a piece of information we need to know, but that doesn't mean we know the Lord. It means we know that information. But that information, that event, leads to what you could call the gospel message. And the gospel message is this, that because of what Jesus did on our behalf, in our place, we can be forgiven of our sins, and we can go from being separated from God to being reconciled or reconnected to him. When we sin, we're separated from God. And Jesus made it possible for us to be reconnected to him, reconciled to him. The gospel event makes the gospel message possible. Again, those are huge pieces of information we need to know, but that doesn't mean we know the Lord. To know the Lord means I need to respond to the event and the message with a gospel response. And that gospel response is I repent of my sin and I trust the Lord Jesus alone as my Savior. That's how I come to know the God because when you and I repent of our sin and trust Christ alone, the impact and influence of that is to mark our lives from that moment forward. The gospel 
It's about changing our lives, about transforming our lives. Folks, here's the thing. If you want to align, if I want to align with God and what he is doing, his plan for life and history, we need to respond to the gospel event and the gospel message by a gospel response of repentance and faith that isn't just meant to tick a box, but literally is meant to influence and impact our lives from that point forward. So let me ask very carefully, have you responded to the gospel? Do you know the gospel event? Do you have knowledge of the gospel message? Those are important, yes. But have you responded? Have you trusted Christ? If that's something you're not clear on, you're uncertain of, or maybe you know, I just I haven't done that, we would love to talk with you afterwards to help you come to the place of responding. To go back to the story and what's unfolding in chapter 2. Verse 10 tells us that that new generation, they had not responded. They weren't being impacted and influenced by what God had done. Now, again, when we talk about knowing the Lord, we're not talking about something that is static. I mean, knowing the Lord means we enter into a relationship with him in which we're connected to him. We were separated. Now we're connected and we're going to travel through life with him. The people of verse 10 were disconnected from God. And we need to be clear, being disconnected from God never leads to anything good. Look at verses 11 to 13. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. Very simply, it says very clearly, they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They rejected the God, the God who took them out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and took them into the promised land. They rejected him, and they did that by turning to other gods, going after other gods. Now, to make sense of that, to kind of understand maybe what was going on in their heads, it's probably important for us to understand in the ancient world, they were really comfortable with the idea that there were multiple gods. See, in their way of thinking was that Different gods had different jobs or different responsibilities, and usually that job or responsibility was tied to a geographic area. In one sense, you could say the gods of that age were kind of like the governors of our states. They have responsibilities in one state, but not another state. That's kind of how they viewed the gods. And so they may have been looking at it going, hey, you know, it was great that Yahweh, the God Moses met at the burning bush, got us out of Egypt. I mean, that was really nice of them. Thanks, God. That was great. But hey, now we're living in a different land. And in this different land, the people there would tell you that Baal is the God of this area. So, you know, instead of paying attention to Yahweh, we're going to turn and we're going to pay attention to Baal. Because you know, if you live in a new place, you're going to have new needs and different issues, and you're going to need a different God. That's kind of the way of thinking. Now, you and I can say, well, we're not like that. We would never do that. Well, it's connected to us. 
the enemy of our souls and maybe to some degree our culture in a lessening way as time is going on might want us to think that, you know, God can be good for some things. You know, so it's okay if we, you know, like maybe think about God on Sundays or, you know, when tragedies happen in the world, we're supposed to think about God when those things happen. But, you know, beyond that, we, we have other needs and other issues. And so we'll look to someone other than God to meet those needs and meet those issues. Israel got in trouble because they pursued false gods. They went after what we would call idols. But you and I can do the exact same thing. You see, we can struggle to align with God because we think, I need something other than God. I, I need this. You know what? I think a really important question we need to ask about our souls, ask of our souls about knowing God and, and being in relationship with him and being aligned to him is this. Where are you turning to help for the stuff in your life? If you've got issues, challenges you're facing in life, where are you turning for help with that? I mean, do you consider or consult God? Or do you not even give him a thought and just go and do something else? Again, aligning with God and his purposes involves living in a relationship with him. God is not a consumer good or service that we need to meet a few needs in your life. Like, okay, God helped me with that, but now I've got something else to do, so God can help me with that. You know, like, hey, going to Lowe's or Menards or Home Depot because you need some lumber. Oh, but now I need office supplies, so I'm going to go to Staples. God is not a home maintenance store or an office supply store. God is the one you need for everything. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 tells us that God is the creator of life, the sustainer in life, and the point of life. He is the one we need. Over the last two years, we've talked several times, I've tried to talk several times about God's beauty wanting to show that, wanting to put it on display. And here's one of the reasons why. See, my prayer is that you and I will see the beauty of God in full so that we will turn to him with our whole lives, with every part of our lives, so that we can experience the fullness of his love in every part of our lives. I don't know what you are facing today, but what I know is every single one of us needs his love in our lives in full. And that happens when we see how amazing he is, how incredible he is in full, so that we pursue him. That is my prayer for myself. That is my prayer for you. Let me shift gears a little bit, somewhat connected, but shifting gears. Let me ask you, why do you live your life in relationship with someone? I mean, those of you that are married, like, why do you live in relationship with your spouse? Hopefully the quick answer is love. Okay, hopefully that's the quick answer, love. Okay? Husbands, look at your wives and affirm that, okay? Because she's already looked at you in cases and it's like, well, you know, love. Now think about that as we read verse 14 and 15. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, 
And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the land of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. I want you to think about a couple of things with me quickly. God rescued and delivered Israel, the people, out of Egypt, out of slavery because of love. God's desire for them was for them to know freedom, not bondage. And yet as we go through judges, where do they seem to want to walk towards? They want to go right back to bondage. He wanted to give them freedom, and they keep going to bondage. Folks, when we talk about God loving us, we need to be clear. We're not just saying God has warm, fuzzy feelings for us. When we're saying God loves us, we're saying that God is committed to act on our behalf in our best interest for our good. When we say God loves us, God moves to do what is the very best for us. That's his love. Now they go from Judges 2 really to jump to the entire Bible. Please understand that the freedom that we are offered in the Lord Jesus is the very best thing any of us could ever receive. He offers us that. He brings that to us. Now, part of the reason I point that out is because to go back to Judges 2, God was angry because they were headed back to bondage. He wanted what he knew, what God knows is the very best, and that is freedom, and they're headed to bondage. He's angry about that, but please understand, his anger wasn't just God got mad and, you know, smoke coming out of his ears. No, when God gets angry, God moves to correct the problem. See, God gets angry when there is an issue, when there is a problem, and God's anger moves him to correct the problem. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them. Notice that, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. I pray you and I see God's beauty and God's love in that verse. Now, yes, I'm not denying, the text is not denying that God brought harm on the people that caused them distress. Why? Because he was bringing the conviction of sin to bear in their lives. He didn't want them to head to bondage. He's trying to say, stop, stop, stop. But he did more than just bring conviction. He also brought judges now, by judge at this point, please don't think of our legal system, okay? A judge and judges, except in one case, and we'll look at that in a couple weeks, is really what we're talking about is a tribal leader, one who's more like a ruler, like a king. And I draw that out and I point that out because really what verse 16 is telling us is that the true king was providing a way to rescue people heading to bondage. People that were heading to bondage, he was stepping in as the true king to rescue them. I'm going to guess many of you know these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The opening words of John 3.16. You could say, for God so loved the world, Israel that he raised up a judge to start Judges 2.16. Love. 
Why should you and I want to know God? Why should you and I live in a relationship with him? Why would you live in a relationship with anyone? Because of love. And because God loves us, he reaches out to rebels in bondage and rescues them. And I want you to notice as we go through the book of Judges, this isn't something that God does just once. God does again and again and again and again. And technically, I think it's at least like 12 or 13 times God does that. Please understand, God is committed to us. God loves you and wants literally what is best for you. And the way you and I can align with that is by knowing him. Key number two, we need to align with God. We also need to walk with God. Now, the second key kind of flows out of the first. I mean, the idea is if you know God, you're supposed to continue in life with him. You're continue to walk with him. Well, here's the thing. Another negative is coming, even though God provided, even though God made it possible for them to know him, and we're urged to walk with him. Look at verse 17 to verse 19. Yet, God provided judges, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. These verses really do record kind of what we would call the cycle of the book, the cycle of Judges. It starts with the people rebelling against God and then that leads to them being oppressed by another nation. And so then they finally get to the place where they cry out to God. And then, this, then, jo, then God brings a judge to rescue them. But then that judge dies. And when the judge dies, the cycle starts over again. But it's not a cycle that starts over again and just keeps going around. No, it's a descending spiral. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. They're going down. And the reason all of that happens according to verse 17 is because they don't walk with God. They don't listen to God. They are stubborn and they become more and more corrupt. Which is why verses 20 and 21 then say this. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. Sad observation. They were not experiencing the blessings of the promises of God. Please don't miss the implication that brings to our lives. The blessings and the promises of God are going to seem very elusive to us when we don't walk with God. They'll seem to be things we can read about but not be immersed in our lives in. Folks, we need to align with God 
We do. We need to align with God what he has done, and we align with God by walking with him. But let's be clear, right? I mean, we battle with listening to God. We battle with being stubborn. And honestly, sin is a powerful force or foe in our lives. Say like, okay, how can I walk with God when all these struggles are going on around me? How, how do I do that? I want you to consider two truths about God that are true, not just on a nice day, but also in a day of struggle. Two truths that I think empower us if we grip onto them will help us walk with God. Okay, truth number one about God is this, is God is at work to refine us. God is working and moving today to refine us. Judges chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Let me read verse 21. It's not going to be on the screen, but let me read it to... Get the sentence. I will no longer drive up before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the ways of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now, please understand, there's rebellion going on, but even in the rebellion, God is working. And part of what God was doing was to test now, the idea of test in verse 22 is to prove the quality of something or someone. So in our struggles, in our suffering, God is at work in our lives to refine us. You could say to prove our faith or improve our faith. He's doing things in our lives. Another way of saying that is when you go down the road of life and you encounter things, God is doing things even in that to help make it possible for you and I to deepen our relationship with God, to trust him more, to love him more, to know him more. Now let me try to apply that to us. Okay, both James chapter one, verses two to four, and 1 Peter chapter one, verses six and seven tell us that if a person is a follower of Jesus, there's going to be struggle, okay? There's going to be struggle. But those verses also affirm that God works in our lives at that point, at that moment, to both grow us and refine us or purify our faith. Please know this truth. God is at work right now in your life to accomplish his mission both in you and through you. He is working right now to do something in you and through you. Let me give you an example of that. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, God, who is the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies, meets us in our suffering, and he meets us in our suffering to take his comfort and put it in our lives, working in us. But then the verses go on to say, he doesn't just work in us. He then asks us, he takes the comfort he's put in us, and he asks us to work it through us to share with others. None of us want to suffer. None of us want to struggle. I get that. We don't go like, hey, can I struggle today? No, we don't want that. But here's the amazing thing. Even in when that happens, God works in us to bring us comfort and then works through us to comfort others. He's using us. As we walk with God in hard things, he refines us. We can do it even in the struggle. That's a truth about God. Another truth about God, not only does it work in us, but God also works to equip us. The second truth about God, God works to equip us. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 
Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. And it was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. To survive in a difficult context, you need to learn war. That's the point in a sense. Now for us, this isn't an issue of us needing to go to physical war, but we do live very much in a spiritual battle. And verse 2 is teaching us that God works through us through the struggle that we'll go through to both empower us and equip us so we're prepared for battle. We're learning how war works. We'll know this. This is why Ephesians 6 will tell us to put on God's armor, to stand in his strength and to pray. He's teaching us this is how you fight the battle. This is how you engage. You see, in our struggles, God can teach us how to battle. Let me finish. Time is kind of going on us. Does it matter? Does it matter if we know God and walk with God? I mean, does that matter? Look at verses 5 and 6 of Joshua three, or Judges 3. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters took them to themselves, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served other gods. Those verses very quickly are describing that Israel was not knowing God and was not walking with God. And as a result, they were living among the nations, which quite honestly, as we saw last week, was outright disobedience. They were not doing what God asked. And not only were they not doing that, then they were also marrying them, so they were entangling their lives more and more and more with people who were not following God, people who were anti-God, were coming and making the choice to devote themselves to serve other gods, to serve false gods. In short, we've already said it, but they are heading back into bondage. Why? Because they didn't know God and they didn't walk with God. Folks, this truly does matter. God is calling us. God is inviting us to freedom. And freedom comes, we experience freedom when we know God and we walk with him. Let me ask you, are you heading today toward freedom or toward bondage? God, who knows what is best for us, is calling us to freedom. And we align with that. We move in that direction when we know God and we walk with him. Would you pray with me? Father, I am grateful to you that you give us the incredible gift of your word for our good. God, I'm grateful you want to lead us to freedom. You've made that possible. You, you made it possible in the Old Testament in the story of the Exodus, but more powerfully and more profoundly and more eternally, you have done that in sending your son, in making it possible for us to go from eternal death to eternal life. 
to go from bondage to freedom. Lord, I pray we would align with that. And I pray, Lord, you would use the words of Judges 2 and 3 this morning to so grip us that we would be compelled to align with you and to what you truly want to do both in our lives and through our lives. God, you have an incredible plan for us. I pray we would embrace it. And I pray today we would walk with you. In the very precious and powerful name of the Savior, we pray. Amen.